Again, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So if we can't preach this and hear the gospel in this, we're, we're a sad bunch of people. So um, Romans chapter 8, just being the... the R.C. Sproul has said... Um, that if he uh, it was if he was, had to be stranded on a desert island and he's only given one book, it'd, of course it'd be the Bible. And if he was only given um, one book of the Bible that he could have, he says, well, it it would be um, the Book of Romans. And then he said, but if he could only have one chapter from that one book, um, it would be Romans chapter eight. And we we do thank God that um, he has not only given us Romans chapter eight, so that indeed. We use the rest of the Bible to make sure we are properly interpreting what's going on in Romans chapter 8 and use Romans chapter 8 to interpret everything else in the Bible um, so that the Bible interprets itself. It is the only infallible rule of faith and instruction is um, the Word of God itself. Now this is, actually we've come into, and you know how I like to say that you know we're going to preach from uh, Romans chapter 8 verse one, but we're going to read today Romans chapter one all the way through this, you know, to get the context in the reading thereof. But um, today I chose because we're going to go back a little bit and just look at a couple of verses because this is actually the fifth of five questions here in a row that Paul has asked, um, rhetorical questions to say, I want you to think about this. I want you to to use these questions to to get into your heart the fact that you as believers in Christ, you are held fast, you are safe, you are secured, you are saved, you are atoned for, you are um, in Christ, and God holds you fast. So Paul asks his readers to consider these five questions to demonstrate the greatness and surety of his salvation for those who believe. So the first question is in uh, this is all in chapter 8 here, verse 31. <clears throat> and he says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So that was the first question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now this was, is the power of God. So we talked about when we covered this, it's like, who is this God? And who is he in Christ? And Christ himself being the Son of God and the Holy Spirit. And if God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be for you, then who can be against us? He did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. That's our God and what he did. So if God is for us, who can be against us? Second question is in verse 32 which I read a part of, and then it says, how will he not also with him, with Christ, with his own son, graciously give us all things? So he's given us his son. He's given us Jesus Christ. 
why would he withhold any other thing? And so as we looked at this, it doesn't mean that whatever you ask for, maybe you get two or three people to agree to ask for something, that you're just going to get it because you've snapped your fingers and you've asked for it. But whatever it is, according to his will, that you need for his glory, for your salvation, it will be more than abundantly supplied unto you. And this is the good news, that he is a gracious giver. And the Lord says he loves a cheerful giver because it has his body, it has his spirit, so that Christ, God in Christ, loves us and gives us everything we need for his glory and for our salvation. And then the next question is in verse 33. And he says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. It's God who has, is the one on the, 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 the judge's bench. Is he who is up there who has leveled the gavel and said, not guilty, has even said innocent, has said righteous. We've been declared righteous, been given the righteousness of Christ so that in Christ we indeed do stand before a holy God as holy and just. And he has declared it. Condemnation is the opposite of that. A condemned man is one who is condemned to death. And so the question is, who will bring any charge against God's elect? We talked about that. Where there's lots of, uh, you know, Satan would sure like to do that. The world does it. Our flesh does it. It happens all the time. But his point is, it's like, they have no standing here. They have no place here. It can't be done. God's the one that's justified. How are you going to bring a charge? It's like, oh, it's already been done. It's already been handled so that we see that Christ's substitutionary death has caused a settled judgment for us. It's done. And then the fourth question is in verse 34. Who is to condemn? I guess I just said that. Who is he who is to condemn? More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. So the question being here is, you know, first is who can bring a charge? Maybe I jumped a little ahead of myself. But who can bring any charge against it? And then next is who, will, who is there to condemn? So not only are accusations not allowed, so if accusations aren't allowed, certainly there's no condemnation that could possibly be brought out. You might think, well, God the Father is going to condemn me because of my sin. No, he's the one that justified. He is the one who died for you. Christ died for us. He God the Father sent his son to die for us so that he might justify us, so that there can be no charge brought against us. So how is there any condemnation? Who is there ever that could condemn us? And then more than that, Christ Jesus was raised at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. He's praying for us. Not only did he die for us, he's interceding. He's praying prayers of help for us. So there's nobody that's going to condemn. We worry about that as we go through our life. We should. We look at ourselves and like, you know, what's up with me? Uh, where, where is my, I mean, lack of faith, sin, talking bad about people, thinking bad about people, just, you know, whatever it is, um, who can bring a charge? Well, you can bring charges up yourself. It's like, no, 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 no. Rest in who you are before the judgment seat of God, of Christ, where we are cleansed as we see in the baptismal waters and we are declared right and just and holy and he gets to this last question in verse 35 so he has said you know if God's for us who can be against us 
Um, how would he not also give us all things when he didn't spare his own son? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Because it's God who justifies. So who is there to condemn? Christ is the one who was condemned in our place. And so then the question is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on and he lists seven things which come to his mind to say, what about these things? And seven, well, I guess it's an intentional number because the Holy Spirit inspires these things. Seven's a, a, a godly number of completion. The seventh day was the day of rest. So he's like, Here's, let, me list, let me list completely everything in, in synopsis form that, that might come against you. And keeping in mind, too, that Paul had all of these things that came against him, even the things that we talk about later. Each of these things Paul certainly has experienced, and he's saying none of those things can separate me from the love of Christ. Now we have to get this. It's very important. And if we never get anything else, we need to get this point that it is God's love for us which has saved us from beginning to end. It is God's love for us which has saved us from the beginning to the end. His love with which he has loved us. That's what saves us. His love for us. And so if Paul is saying, don't worry, when you go through these things, these things will never cause you to stop loving Christ. Then we'd have reason to respond. Well, I hope so. <laughs> but I know in my own heart, and you should know in your own heart, that when we go through these things, sometimes we wonder if God is for us, you know, do, and, and in our worst moments, in our darkest moments, we might even have our love for God sort of removed. I mean, ter terrible things can happen in our lives, and we recognize the fact that um, God is in control of all things. He has ordained anything that comes to pass, and we might say, gosh, terrible things have occurred. Who are you, O oh God, and be angry with God? Doubt our love for him. And what Paul is saying is, yeah, I'm not going to encourage you like that. I'm not going to encourage you that you're never going to go through anything that's going to make you stop loving him completely because you're supposed to love him according to the law with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the law is um, the expression of the heart of Jesus Christ, the heart of God. Why would we not love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Who among us loves the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength all day long, all the time, every second, every moment, no matter what? I mean... We don't even think about him all the time. And then there are times when our faith and our love grow weak. So he doesn't tell us to ground our hope in ourselves, but in God, in Christ. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in Christ. Charles Hodge, his commentary on Romans, says, It is the strongest ground of assurance to be convinced that his love will never change. His love will never change. Now, you might think of yourself, because we tend to think of God as a man, because there's ways in which God has communicated himself to us as a man. We know in Jesus Christ, he appeared and became a man. But then we will think, well, I know what happens to men. Things go wrong. I can offend you. 
And maybe you love me. Gosh, I love that pastor. I love that pastor. But then I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. I look the wrong way. And all of a sudden, yeah, I don't know about him. We need to think about somebody else. I do the same thing. Y'all make me mad too. You know, so my love for you goes up and down. Your love for me goes up and down. Your love for each other. It just, we're terrible. Oh, that we would love God completely all the time. I don't even know what what it would look like. But it would transform everything about us. It drove Christ to the cross. But the greatest ground of assurance is God is not like us in that way. God's love never changes. God does love perfectly, completely, forever. Unchangeable. The shorter catechism says, you know, what is God? Who is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It never changes. And that he has set his love on us means that it is because he calls us his bride and he has shown us in the prophets that even when we run away, he pursues. When we go astray, when our love is lessened, when we go after other gods, we go after other spouses, when we seek another God other than him, he goes after and brings us back and his love is firm. And there's a hymn which says, and I, I couldn't find the name of it, it says, let me no more my comfort draw from my frail hold on thee. In this alone rejoice with all thy mighty grip of me. So let me no more my comfort draw my frail hold on thee. I mean, yeah, baby back there, you're holding on that baby. That baby starts thinking, gosh, if I let her go, I'm going to fall and crash. It's like, I promise you that, that, that the baby's not holding on. We're holding on. It's like a child walking across the road. You know, it's a busy street. Who's holding on to who? Well, the child might be, you know, your greatest fear as a child might be that my father's going to let me go. Or your greatest consternation, boy, that's another good word, is that they won't let me go. Let me, let me run. Let me, I want to go run out in the middle of the street. There's a piece of paper out there that I must have. And your hand, then, so when you go to pull away, the parent's hand is stronger, firmer. You might even get a little jerk. You might even get a little yelled voice, depending on what is required at the time. And so that is our father. As we go to pull away from him, as we run headlong into danger, he's a good, perfect father. He knows how far to let us go if we need to be turned over to our sin for a while. But his love holds us fast and is not my hold of him that I draw comfort from. It is this alone I rejoice in all that thy mighty grip of me, that he, this is where we hold our, when we're in our worst times of doubt and sorrow or whatever it may be, to know that he has promised to hold on to us. And this is greatly exemplified. If you hold your place in Romans here and go to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I looked up that word snatch, because that's an interesting word too, snatch. You know what it means, I think, so I don't know if y'all, I don't know, the stuff we watch when we're little. There's a TV show 
kung fu. All right? So the kung fu, which, anyway. So he holds the, the master, holds out this palm, says, when you can snatch the pebble from my hand, then you are ready to leave. And so he reaches for it, and I'm like, yeah. And then one day, David Carradine, can't remember what his name actually was in the show, he, he, the master holds it out, and, and he looks, and he says, guys, uh, you are ready. <laughs> it's like, that's my vision when I think about somebody snatching something from somebody's hand, which is a part of it. But the thing about snatching something from somebody's hand, it's like when we do this and you play that game, wherever it is, here's how we play that game. Try me. Yeah, try me. And look what we're doing. They're like holding it wide open. This is not the, the image that is given to us. The image that is given to us here is, I got you. I got you. And if you ever play this game with a small child, the only way they ever get whatever it is that you have open in your hands is if you allow it. And what God is saying here is, I have you. I have given my sheep eternal life. My sheep, my sheep, I have given eternal life, and they will never perish. Now, these are promises. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, I have heard this. Well, let me finish reading here. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. All. Heights, depths, powers, people, angels, things to come, things that are, all these things. He is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Now, I've heard it preached in non-reformed churches, maybe, goodness, I hope nobody's preaching this in a reformed church, that nobody can snatch you from the Father's hand, but you can snatch yourself out. I won't ask you if you've ever heard anybody preach that before. That's the thing. It's like, and so if I can snatch myself out, that means my eternal security is based on my desire to have him hold me fast. This is not what he said. He's a good shepherd. So let's say he's got a good shepherd and he has all these sheep and they're his sheep and they belong to him. And one of those shepherds decides, ah, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done with it. It stinks in here and he's gone. And so the good shepherd looks and he just goes, well, there goes one that doesn't want to be. Oh, there goes another one. Well, oh, there goes another. They start wandering off because they want to. You got to let them because they have free will, right? You got to let them go. That's not the image. The image is like, what happens? And he even tells a parable. What about the one sheep that takes off? The good shepherd's going to leave the 99 there safe and secure to go after that one. You leave. You try to snatch yourself from the Father's hand. He, you're his sheep. He's given you eternal life. He will hold you fast. He will go after you. He will seek you. He will call you. He will draw you back. You cannot lose your salvation when God the Father has placed his love on you that you receive by faith alone, which we receive as a gift from him. Lest anybody should boast. He is the author and finisher of our faith from beginning to end. That's God's work. Nobody can snatch you out of his hand. If you are a believer, the question you have to ask yourself is, am I in his hand? Am I accepting this? Do I believe this? Have I heard the call of God in Christ that he has died for for sin, there is a sufficient sacrifice for sin. I am a sinner. I recognize my need for Christ. And there is a sacrifice for sin. And there is a God who has actually sent his son, who actually lived a perfect life of obedience to God. And I recognize how far short I fall. And then he died. 
as an offering for sacrifice in the place of sinners so that anybody who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life to be his sheep and that he's raised again for their justification that we might be declared righteous and that he is ascended to the right hand of God the Father and is praying prayers of intercession for me and I have this hope and I have this desire and I have this love that I won't know. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, make this true in my life. I want to cling to you. Please, God, cling to me. Make it so, make it so. If that's what you think, then you've got to trust in his promises that whosoever believes in him shall never perish. My sheep are in my hand. No one can snatch you from my hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you could care less about that, <laughs> I implore you to care more about it because sin is, is it, 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 we stand before a holy God naked and ashamed and you'll be cast in eternal fires forever because that's what a holy and righteous judge declares to be a just punishment for sin. And that's why we have an evangelistic zeal. That's why we pray for one another that we be affirmed in the faith. That's why we pray for those that we fear might not know the Lord. That's why we try to, with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, to live our lives in such a way that becomes the followers of Christ so they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Knowing that we fall short, that we're not their Savior, don't use me as your standard of justice. Don't use me as your standard of holiness. But indeed, I look to Christ. I implore you to look for Christ. We're all sinners. We're all lost. And when Christ came, he died for the ungodly, and such were some of us. You have to cling and call on those promises for yourself. His sheep hear his voice. Do you hear his voice? And we pray that people would hear his voice even through us. And so we are here, and he holds us, and he protects us because of his love for us. And then back in Romans 8, and so we read verse 35 again, and it says, I know there's a 35, there it is. So who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? And then he says, you know, shall tribulation, distress, or persecution? These are things that might, the world, terrible world we live in, uh, yeah, these things can happen. There's tribulation, there's distress, there's persecution that might happen. Famine and nakedness. These are things that like just occur in the world. It's like there's no food, there's no shelter, there's just nothing. Shall these things separate us from the love of God in Christ? This is one of the verses, my friends, the church in Haiti is like, <laughs> I mean, they all have this, this, I can't tell you how many, and I don't get many, and Joy and Malcolm get a multitude, but it's like they all know, and I, I'm trying to look into what's going on, it's like Biden has promised that people from Haiti can come here for a certain period of time. And there's some way that that's to happen. And if you will help me come, I promise I will do anything for you that I can do, and we'll work hard, and we'll do this and that. And I'm like, I I, I'm Googling, I'm looking up, I'm trying to ask a few people, but they hear this thing because they are in distress. They have famine, they have all of these problems. But what they do have is faith in Christ. And they know that this does not separate them from the love of God in Christ. They know that sometimes they're more concerned about us being separate, having our hearts pulled away from God because of all the little fancy things we get and how much we have and all these things. They want to get out of it, but their faith is strong because we know that these things can't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Danger and sword can't do it. Then there's this verse that's written. For your sake, we are being killed all day long, and we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, whenever I read this passage, especially when I'm reading it out loud, I don't like that verse. It's in the way. 
it kind of doesn't make sense. It's like, wait, this, I, I would prefer just really to read it quickly or just skip over it. Because it's like, it, it reads so well without it. It's like, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, or of God. He indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? No, in all these things we're more than conquerors. It's a much better flow. You know, so as I'm looking at it, it's like, okay, well, what this actually is is a quote from the Psalms. It's Psalm 44, 22. So you know what we got to do. You, you got to say, all right, why in the world does Paul throw Psalm 44, 22 right in the middle of everything? And so we look at it. Just so we hear it, because it's terribly important that it's actually in the Word of God. Paul knew what he's doing. The Holy Spirit was at work. And he says this in Psalm 44, Oh God, now this is you know, the, the sons of Korah. It's a, it's just, it, there's a terrible thing going on. They're, they are um, being persecuted, and you can see what's happening as you read it. They say, Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days and the days of old. You, with your own hand, drove out the nations, but you planted them. You afflicted the peoples, but you set them free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your faith, your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me, but you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. And there's a little salah, and we don't know whether they played some music during that time, or they sat and meditated for a bit, and then it's like, okay, okay, now. Take a breath. You got that? Do we understand this? We have faith in God. We understand God is in control and God is powerful. He's the one that saves us. Then, verse 9, but, that's not a good way to start a lot of times, but you have rejected us and disgraced us. This is their experience. Their scene is like, wait a second, and the church in Rome is going to soon experience the great persecution from, Rome, from Nero, and they may be tempted to say the same thing and indeed could sing this psalm where they might feel as if they've been rejected and disgraced and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, verse 10, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter. You have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. So we stop here and we're like, oh, Holy Spirit's got them saying something in here. It's like, there's one coming. And if Jesus Christ, as Martin Luther said, it's like the Psalms seem to be from the heart of Christ, even on the cross. It's like there's a high price that's going to be paid. They think they're being defeated, but there's a high price that's going to be paid. And it's Jesus Christ himself, his own blood. Verse 13, you have made us a taunt to our neighbors, the derision and score of the, scorn of those around us. And again, we think of Christ on the cross who's being taunted and scorned and all of these things for them. They think they're being taunted. They think they're going through something. They're simply sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and they have to cling to him tightly. Verse 14, you have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and my shame, shame has covered my face at the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. So 
Psalm 44 is saying, you got a faithful group of people who are being persecuted and feel like they're being slaughtered and they're his sheep. They're not, this is not happening to them because of lack of faith. This is happening to faithful people. And we have not been false to your covenant. Our hearts have not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? He knows the secrets of our heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And they're asking the question, are we being defeated? Are the enemies of God winning? Are you abandoning us and causing us to be utterly defeated? And their cry out is to God, wake up. Awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust and our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your chesed, your steadfast love. And God answers their their request in Christ. And here in Romans, he says, did not forsake them. I will not forsake you. In all these things, you are more than conquerors. And the word is, is hyper conquerors. Hyper, hyper um, Nikeo, Nike being that conquering victory word. You're, you're super conquerors, super victorious. So then in all these things, we have conquered these things. In verse 37, he says, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. So we're supposed to think back to Psalm 44. And he says, no, in all these things, in all these things, it's an important word, it's not in spite of these things, you'll be saved from these things, you're not going to have to go through these things, but when you go through these things, in these things, we, and Paul now is like saying, I'm in this with you guys, I understand we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Past tense, and he's talking about the cross. So the people in um, Psalm 44 are crying for a redeemer and God is crying out in the streets. I have sent a redeemer. His name is Jesus Christ and he'll never abandon you. He'll never leave you and your enemies are lost and you are victorious over them. And then Paul says, and how do I know we're more than conquerors in these things? Because I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor Powers, I want to stop on powers just a second and listen to 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22. It says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So all of these things which we are fearing may show to us that God, they're winning and we're going to leave God. He's, he just love, the twist is amazing. It's not that you won't stop loving God. You won't stop having faith. It's like he's not going to stop loving you. It's his love that's saving us. So no matter what the design of these things are that happen in our lives, no matter what Satan or the flesh or the world, whatever the design is to, to torment the people of God, to separate us from God, God is saying nothing's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ. Even these powers are in subjection to Christ. And he's praying at the right hand of God for us. So I am sure that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. It's like heaven or hell, nothing. It's just everything, nor anything else in all creation. So in case you come up with something, nothing else will be able to separate us. Nothing will be able, dunamai, nothing will have the power, nothing will have the ability, nothing can come close to being able, as much as it may try, as much as we may be bound by it or worried by it or confused by it, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Now, we started off, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So don't get stuck in your mind that Christ is all loving and God is just angry and he's willing to, uh, fine, I won't punish them for now. I won't punish them ever because you've decided that you're going to love them. God the Father loves us. John 3.16. God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. So that the believers in him would never perish but have eternal life. God the Father did this. This is the love of God the Father. The love of God the Father. God is love. God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Holy Spirit is love. And the reason you got saved is because he has placed and foreknown you and foreloved you and he has placed his love upon you. And we get to chapter 9, we're going to talk about what about people who don't know him. Or we'll get to that. But for right now, believer, he's talking to you. Nothing in your life will be able to separate us from that love which he has placed upon you. And this is the love of God and we see it in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is how he has loved you, believer. And he is a good shepherd. Let's pray. Father God, glory to you alone. Soli Deo Gloria. We walk by faith and not by sight. We trust in your love for us. We trust in your faithfulness to your promises. We do not trust in ourselves. So that not to us, not to us, but to thy name be the glory. And we pray and thank you that your hand holds us that your love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has indeed been given to us. And this we pray most thankfully in Christ's name. Amen.